0: Hey folks, this is Kevin. Just a few words before we start. Well, we've got two wonderful live shows coming up, just remarkable storytellers. On Thursday, January 26th, at the Nerdmelt Theater in Los Angeles, we have Bobcat Goldthwaite, the one and only. And Bobcat and I have been talking about the story he's planning on telling. It is one of those. Oh my God, I am so thankful I never lived through anything like that. We also have the author Andy Berman, who wrote the jaw-dropping book Electro Boy. Actress Stacy Mayer and comedian extraordinaire Ms. Eliza Skinner makes her return to the show. That same night, January 26 in New York... At The Pit, we have one of the funniest women in show business. She is an Emmy Award winner, a Drama Desk Award winner, Miss Judy Gold, and Julie Klausner of the podcast How Was Your Week, as well as the hilarious Rob Cantrell and the Moth Superstar, also uh, uh, he's been on This American Life, Mr. Jeff Simmerman. The next nine-week storytelling workshop that I teach at the Story Studio starts this Sunday, that's January 15th, and the next two-day workshop that we teach at the Story Studio is on the 21st and 22nd, just go to thestorystudio.org to learn more. Finally, we are so, so very thankful for how everyone pitched in and helped us out with our fundraiser on Indiegogo last year. We promised those who gave $100 or more, we would read their names on the podcast, and they are Maya Fabricant, Denise Taylor, Vanessa Braseno, Ali Diskin, Robin Degrassi, Kel Mercer, Leticia Allen, Ben Ilani, Anne Bassano. Anne Brown, John Tye, Michael DiBiasio, Keith Campbell, Michael Stamps, John Adams, Charlie Clay, Renee Greer, Stephen Rand, Martin Ford, Ross Begertes, Gary Belsky, Greg Merkel, Adam Doman, Christine Woodward, Angelia Pittman, Holly Dyes, Daniel Hadley, Harry Althouse, Aaron Gorham, Brian Herrera, Holly Roski, Carrie Finn, Bridget Hockney, Sasha Brady, and Cameron Knight. Thank you so much, everybody. Now here's the show. Hey kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Lee Rosevere behind me now, kicking off an episode we call Shady. All of today's stories feature iffy characters, people who ain't quite on the up and up, people who don't just cast shadows, but shade. I mean, we're talking acres of it. Acres of Shade, there's a band name for (laughs) you. If you're starting a band, it's yours. Our first story comes to us from a man with a remarkably alliterative name. Carlos Kotkin is the author of Please God, Let It Be Herpes, which is due out in March. Carlos told this one at our show in Los Angeles. We call it Happy Baby."
1: Um, so the reason why I, I'm uh, a heartthrob is because I... Well, for the podcasters are laughing because they're all uh, nervous about how attracted they are to me. <laughs> so uh, the reason I'm a heartthrob is because I, I practice a lot of yoga. And I've been doing yoga for a few years now. And um, in the course of doing yoga, I, I've had two accidents, not bodily function accidents, different accident. One a uh, little uh, more... Uh, significant than the other the first accident that i ever had at yoga was when i first started going i uh i noticed this girl that was showing up regularly and she was very attractive and we Uh, exchanged uh glances and then glances became smiles and we started saying hi to each other and little by little we were talking and uh, we got to know each other superficially and finally got to the point where i thought i'm gonna i'm gonna ask her out so I see her in the class before class is starting, she's in the studio, and she's doing some preliminary stretching, and I thought, I'm going to go up to her, I'm going to compliment her stretching,
2: <laughs> and, then,
1: uh, and then I'm going to see if she'd like to get something to eat right after class. So that's what I do, I walk up to her, and it was, it was the perfect storm because just as the words were coming out of my mouth, and I couldn't reel them back in, the neurons had already fired. That, that, was the, that was the same instant that she decided to go into Happy Baby and if you don't know what Happy Baby is it's a pose where you roll onto your back you lift your feet, you grab your ankles and you spread your legs and that's what she was doing when I looked down at her and said, you're looking good <laughs> and I just kept walking I just walked away and uh, I never talked to her again and uh, I never saw her again because I was so mortified that I, I just went to different classes and uh, she probably never went back at all. Uh, and so I, I went to, a, a, because of that, I went to, a, t- I started taking a different instructor and I fell in love with this new instructor. She was, she was amazing. Her, her ass was, it was spiritual. It was, <laughs> It made, it made me weep and so i would start going to yoga not for the exercise but just to see her her ass and um i was going religiously regularly and uh, i was i wanted i wanted, somehow i thought i yeah, i could get her who nobody wants her i can get her so i thought i might i'm going to i'm going to try to see if she'll she'll go out with me and um uh, so we, just like the first girl, we started talking after class, but very, very superficially. And I would try to be uh, suave and debonair. And remember one time she uh, made a funny face at me, and she stuck her tongue out. And I, I wanted to, I was going to call her wacky. But at the last, last second, I thought, oh, maybe I should call her wacko. <clears throat> and so what came out of my mouth was wackio. You know? And, uh... That just confused her <laughs> so um, after two years of attending her class she she started getting friendlier and friendlier. It was like I guess I, I wore her down like like Chinese water torture <laughs> and, uh, I just know she 's getting friendlier and friendlier, and then one class, she helps me get into a handstand, and as she 's doing this, she grabbed my crotch she just full on she just had her hand on me. And it was it was magic. It was, it was, it was incredible. And uh, so, at the end of that class, I decided this is time. And I and I asked her if uh, if she would like to get a drink sometime. Which I, I was trying to sound adult. I don't I don't drink because I don't I don't want to go to hell. But. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't drink because I've never acquired the taste for alcohol, so I can't, I can't hold my liquor, but was, I'm suave and cool with her. And I said, hey, you want to get to drink sometime? And she said, yes, but let's be discreet about it. Let's have a drink at your place. Yeah. I was, I was like, oh, my God. This is, like the, this is like the beginning of a penthouse forum letter. This is... <laughs> and so all of a sudden, this yoga instructor that I've been lusting for forever is in my living room and we're having drinks we're having I don't know what kind of wine and <laughs> I'm I have a glass and I'm plastered I just I can't I can't hold my liquor and in my drunken state I did something uh, really crazy that I am not uh, proud of uh, I, I had drunken unprotected sex Ooh. sorry yeah, I know. I know. I know. It's crazy, and um, and so after afterwards, I mean, like right after, like right right after, like like five minutes later, as we're basking in the afterglow, she turns to me and says, "If you got me pregnant, I'm keeping our child." <laughs> which completely destroyed the mood, it was just like... and sobered me up immediately, and I just... and I started laughing. But but she was not laughing. She was very serious. And in fact, uh, the expression on her face reminded me of Kathy Bates in Misery. Which, uh, looking back on it, I, I bet you uh, she considered Misery to be a romantic comedy. <laughs> so she says this, and, and, and she explains that she's not on any kind of birth control or anything, and uh, so on and so forth. And then, and then if that, that's not good enough for me, <laughs> if that wasn't enough, she, then she draped her arm across my chest, and she asked, when did you first realize you loved me? Aww. Yeah. And uh I've always wanted to visit Australia, uh-huh. never more so than in that particular moment. I, like, I, I want to see Australia." and I was I was scared I was scared she was so serious that I was positive that she was pregnant, that this was my life, that I was, it was me and her, and I was like, how am I going to put this kid through college? And I was just. It was done, and uh, in answer to her question about love, I just I just said without trying to sound too frightened, I said, I, "Well, you've always made a very strong impression on me since the first time I saw you," but, and it had been two years, but it was it was it was not love; it was lust. I will uh, it, I didn't want I didn't want what was happening. It was, I did not intend, and so I, when I told her that about you've always made a strong impression on me, she jumped out of bed. She was very excited and animated, and she said, "Let's eat." And I thought, oh my god, her pregnancy is already giving her a... It's, it's happening. She's already... She's already hungry. And uh, I, I'm a bachelor. I had nothing. I had shredded wheat. And I gave her... <laughs> I gave her shredded wheat in a plastic cereal bowl with a plastic spoon. And we're at the dining room table, and I'm just... I'm thinking, I've I, I never felt so alone in my apartment. I want some friends to come over and help me with this. And and she could see how how upset I was. And she said to me, you know, there's more than one person in this situation. And I said, yeah, there's three. There's, <laughs> or I thought that. And um, she finally uh, said, uh, I'm going to go. I don't like the energy in this room. I need some time to think about the baby.
2: <laughs>
1: and I said, okay. And I walked her to her car. And I should have just said, I should have said nothing. Good night. Thanks for a memorable evening or whatever. Uh, and just let it play out. But uh, she was so she had me so frightened that I was taking this very, very seriously. So I told her at her car, I, I need to be honest with you. This was not what I was expecting tonight. Uh, I'm not prepared to raise a child with you. And she got... I, I'm seeing her in my mind right now, and it's scaring me a little bit. She got, she got so angry, and she let out this like supernatural scream... And she said, Actions have consequences. Oh, yeah. oh. And the only thing missing was thunder and lightning. He was like, it. <laughs> so she drives off, she peels off. And the next day, I talked to my friend Jason, and uh, I told him, I said, I think I might be a daddy. And he was like, Whoa, that sucks. And I, was, <laughs> and I explained to him the situation, and he said, How long after uh, you guys had sex did she say she might be pregnant? And I told him, Five minutes. <laughs> and he could not stop laughing. <laughs> And when he was done he asked me uh did you guys have sex in a mental hospital uh, i said said, no (laughs) and uh he did some reconnaissance for me about eight months later he went to her yoga class i stopped going (laughs) i thought it would be awkward and uh and he came back and he gave me the report and uh the report is that my son is backstage this is five years ago and uh horatio you know, I'm kidding. Uh, Ratio does not exist. Uh, she did not get pregnant. Uh, I, uh, I, I am not inexorably connected to her, um, which is, I mean, kids are wonderful. But thank, thank God. <laughs> and I haven't, I still haven't seen her uh, or spoken to her uh, since, since that night. But every now and then, I expect her to jump out of the bushes with a baby or, uh, or a machete or both, and um, and it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if she was outside waiting for me right now, so um, after the show, if you guys, if all of you could please walk me to my car <laughs> I really appreciate that, thank you very much Stop Shade. Shade Shade is I don't tell you you're ugly, but I don't have to tell you because you know you're ugly, and that's shade.
0: is risk. Our next story comes to us from one of you guys Christine Woodward is a fan of the show and she's down in Brazil but she ordered a one-on-one storytelling training session with me. I do these things over Skype. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and I I hear the personal stories of a total stranger somewhere else in the world and I feel after I turn the computer off like I feel more connected to humanity now. What better way to spend my morning coffee time? Anyway, about two minutes after we met, I said, well, do you have a story that maybe we could start working on? And she told me this, and I said, oh, hold on. (laughs) Can we do this Skype call again in a few days so I can record this one? And she was happy to. So here's Christine Woodward with a story we call My Hero.
3: Rio de Janeiro in August to do field research for college I was attending. It's like a study abroad. And it was a continuation of a study abroad that I'd done in Sao Paulo before. Uh, At first I thought it was going to be a lot of fun. I'd taken a weekend trip there when I was in Sao Paulo the last time, and it was great. But this time... The things that happened to me personally in Rio, at least at the beginning, convinced me that it was much more unsafe than Sao Paulo, where nothing had ever happened to me. Three days after I got there, I was walking down the street, it was like 2pm, broad daylight, people were everywhere, and someone just walked up to me, grabbed my arm, ripped the watch off my wrist, and then ran away. It wasn't a big robbery, as far as robberies go, but it set the tone for the rest of how I would feel in Rio. When my research finally started, it seemed to confirm my impression. I knew it was going to be kind of dangerous, because I knew that the area I was doing research in was controlled by a drug gang. And every time me and my research group went into the area to do research, we had to be escorted by two armed drug traffickers with guns so big you had to use two hands to hold them. It was very frightening. I, I never felt as foreign as I did when I was walking through those neighborhoods. And because of the way that I felt about Rio... I really looked forward to the times when I got to go back to visit Sao Paulo. I always loved it. It was like a relief to feel like I was somewhere safe, somewhere where I had friends and where I wouldn't be robbed if I looked at someone the wrong way. (laughs) A couple months after I arrived in Rio, I went to Sao Paulo for a visit. And I was having a lot of fun my friend and I had gone out for the night he's the one who usually showed me around the city when I wanted to go somewhere new he'd lived there his whole life and so we went dancing and drinking just like always (laughs) and we were walking back and I guess it's (laughs) really a mark of how safe I felt that I was walking back because it was probably 4 30 in the morning or so this friend of mine was about 15 or 20 feet ahead of me and as we're walking two men jump out of an alleyway and start to rob my friend and they start beating him up pretty badly like I see them punching my friend in the head. I see them kicking him, trying to get him to the ground, trying to take his phone, trying to take his wallet. And I freeze for a second. I know I shouldn't go over to where the guys are beating the crap on my friend, because that would just happen to me too. It's not like I can take them out. So I decide for an alternative solution and I run back to the street I just come from. There are three people standing on the corner, and I don't see who they are at first, but I I shout out to them in Portuguese. Help, help, I need help. My friend is, is getting beat up. We need help. And one of the people comes over, and it's a transvestite prostitute. And she's over six feet tall she's really tall really buff like big muscles you can see big muscles in her arms and her legs like you can really tell it's not a lady and she's grown her hair out long and dyed it blonde and has a white mini skirt dress that's really tight and wedge shoes that add about three or four inches of height and she comes over and she just asks, where's your friend? And I point the way, and she takes off running in her giant shoes. And she gets there really fast. And I turn to look, and she, <laughs> she just comes sailing right in with a punch to one of the guys. Just, just right out the gate. Just bam. And they didn't even see her coming. She just comes out of nowhere. And the one guy she punches, like right in the chest, he goes down. Like he just falls. And the other guy is kind of looks up in in shock because by that time they'd had my friend on the ground and he was not conscious anymore. He his head was bleeding. He was in bad shape. They didn't expect resistance anymore. And so <laughs> he he kind of freezes too because how often do you see that? I mean Transvestite prostitutes, they're actually really common in Brazil, especially in Sao Paulo, especially in the area we were, which was around Paulista Avenue, which is a big night spot. But still, there's a huge stigma against them, and no one expects to see them. No one expects them to save anybody. The guy, he just freezes, and so she takes him out too. (laughs) She knocks him to the ground and takes all the stuff that he had taken from my friend out of his hands. And then kicks him while he's on the ground. I guess at that point, the two robbers decided that it just wasn't worth it. This was too weird of a situation. And this was a remarkably strong prostitute. <laughs> so they just run away. And the prostitute uses my friend's phone to call the cops for us, because it's really obvious that my friend's in a bad way. Other than asking me where the robbers were, she hadn't said anything. But then she told me, I have to go. I can't be here when the cops show up. This person that had saved us, she couldn't even stay to get the credit. Because she's not just a prostitute, she's a transvestite prostitute. She would have gotten arrested, too, for saving us. And I went back to Rio a couple days later. And it it seemed different. Like, it it felt really dangerous before. But after what had happened in Sao Paulo, a place that I had felt safe, Rio, it, it just seemed like... Instead of everyone being an enemy, everyone was someone who could potentially help me out.
0: Covering uh, Foster the People, of course And uh, our next story comes to us from a friend of mine Mr. Mike Bledger Mike is a stand-up here in New York City (laughs) I've had many a subway ride back to Brooklyn with him Where we were a bit too inappropriate for mixed company A bit too loud In fact, the L train is where we've shared many a story like this one This is Mike Bledger with bad nanny. my gun. All the other kids with the bump up kicks you better
3: run, better run. Faster than my bullet. All the other kids with the bumped up kicks you better run, better run. run my gun.
2: All the other kids with the bumped up kicks you better run, better run. Faster than my bullet.
4: I was kind of a big deal in my preschool. Like, my mom went and met the teacher at one point. She was like, you're Mike's mom? Like, I was the man at that Jewish preschool. And I was very charismatic at that time. And I was athletic. I had swimming records and was the MVP of my soccer team. And all this lasted until I was about eight. At which point, I broke my arm four times. (laughs) And uh, and I got the flesh-eating disease at the end of it, too. But uh, at the end of it, I was 11 or 12 years old, five foot one, and 200 pounds. So I was really fat, and I was really uh, lonely and sad. Instead of going through the sort of like burgeoning, flowering youth, I was going through like hot flashes of a middle-aged woman going like, why am I falling apart and dying, (laughs) maybe? And into this stepped my au pair from Afghanistan, uh, Farazana. She was a good cook, terrible citizen. I remember she would drive me to school and there would be traffic jams and she would, without thinking, drive right into the shoulder lane for miles, speeding. (laughs) And, And even at that time, I was pushed against the back of the car, looking out the window going like, they hate us! I think she was just used to getting what she wanted her whole life. And just had not grown up at all. Like she was a definitively non-Jewish American princess. I should say she was thirty-one. I don't know, I don't want to like. I don't want it to sound like she was like sixteen. Before I was at all sexual, I remember the men around me in some way talking about her as being sexy. She wore very tight clothing, like spandex overalls. Where the fuck do you even get that? Olivia Newton John store, I, I think. <laughs> and had you know long black flowing hair, and was just very well put together and, like, clearly exercised a lot. I'm sure I would still think she was attractive today. I knew she was immature, but I had experienced adults being immature, and that was not shocking to me. My sister and I fought, like, crazy fights back then, were violent towards each other, but she didn't respond the way that a a typical adult would, you know? if, If it was, like, we're at the mall or something, my sister's like, I'm going this way! And I'm like, I'm going that way! And then she'd just be like, well, I'm going over here! So so, so she was just like a, another kid, almost. But that, that was how she was. And she was very different, I should say, around my parents. I think she was a totally different person. With my parents, she was appeasing and sort of like bubbly and flowery and non-confrontational. So... She and I fought a lot, and as I got older in this time, when I was like 11 and 12, the fights became, I think, more physical as well, because I was also becoming more hormonal, and these fights would get more heated. And one time, you know, I remember we were in, in the hallway, and she was, like, leaving, and I was like, no, you're not leaving, and she starts leaving, and I pull her, and she pulls forward and then pulls back, and then she falls back onto me, and I have an erection. She gets up, takes me by the hand, and leads me into my room, and then we do what I will later learn is called dry humping. So, then she left, and I just stripped off all my clothes, turned on the shower, to very hot, showered, got out of the shower, got back into the shower, and showered again. And that time I was crying. And... You know, I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there, it's not like I feel violated, it's not like I feel that it is horrible what happened, but I just know that everything has changed. And the sort of irrevocability of that change is overwhelming to me. And the knowledge that I now have a colossal secret is very much weighing on my shoulders. I decided at that moment that I wasn't going to tell my family about this because I knew even then that the kind of attention that this kind of thing would bring was not good. And not only would it make my family unhappy... It would make me unhappy, and it would make my parents feel like they had somehow failed to protect me in some kind of way. And I just didn't think that it, it, it should be on them. So that happened, and then uh, it happened again, you know. That same kind of thing started happening, I don't know, once every t- couple weeks. I don't, I don't know. It's all very splintered, the memories of childhood. But I, I remember one time we were sitting in the car outside of choir camp, for lack of a better word, the Levine School of Music, and, uh, and she's basically giving me a handjob, and she's also comparing my dick to the dick of her estranged husband. <laughs> and even at the time, I'm like, this is not good form. This was not a mature human being, you know what I'm saying? Uh, the other thing is that, like, we only had sex, really sex, intercourse, the once if you could call it that what it was was she basically took me pulled me into her I immediately came and then ran into the other room (laughs) I think that it was a very complicated relationship because I'd known this person for a while and I was like this woman is crazy even then I knew and she would like when we had like sort of mild physical, you know, altercations in public. Not, like, sexual stuff, but sort of, like, just, like, fighting. And then she would go, like, I'll scream rape! And I think she tried to convince me to not, like, tell people by saying that on occasion. And I was like, look, I'm not telling anyone, but that's not why. Like, I'm 12, and I know you're the bad guy. I mean, I was pretty sensible for all of the fucked up shit that was going on. (laughs) Like, it was, the, the, the sexual interactions were... I mean, I, I, it felt good. I, look, kids, if you're at home, sex feels great. <laughs> but, man, it it was the most compulsive sort of experience I can describe in my life. I felt so out of control uh, with my behavior uh, and so torn by this pull to get that rush, while at the same time so repulsed by the situation around it. It's like there was sober Mike and drunk Mike, or Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde kind of thing, and I knew that I, as Dr. Jekyll Mike, needed to get the situation away so that I would not become Mr. Hyde again. And... Also because I just, you know, I knew the longer that this went on and the more sneaking around that was going on, the more likely that this would erupt in some kind of way or that people would find out. And I just did not want that to happen. I wanted it to be done and in the past. And so what I started to do was build a case against this woman to my parents. I just made a case that I was independent and my sister was off at college and that this was no longer necessary, and she and I didn't really get along, you know. All, and and this was all while everything else was still going on, and eventually they were like, "All right, well, we'll get rid of her and get a maid." And you're you're right, you are old enough. <laughs> so she went off her her own way, and I and I remember very specifically my bar mitzvah. For some reason, my bar mitzvah, which is at the beginning of my seventh grade year, I just remember being there, and there was this weight that was off my shoulders. <laughs> that, I, you know, it was like ironic that becoming a man in the Jewish faith was when I was like, all right, I can be a kid. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> I told a couple friends later on in life, after a couple of years or something like that. And invariably, the responses were always like, yeah, and me being like, no, <laughs> you know, like, I was like, oh, you don't get that this was not okay. But yeah, I mean, now I am a very sexual person and I certainly began my exploration at some point after that. In a way, I am lucky to have benefited from such a complex experience at such a young age. And, you know, this was <laughs> terrible But it was also very compelling. Uh, And that doesn't justify it, you know, because it could have gone the other way very easily. But my response to this, my my evolutionary, you know, adaptation was comedy and to find the joy in the terrible things. I like that my brain's response to this was to then see everything as two-sided you know, I, I mean, I just, I do feel lucky that uh, I am able to see the world in in those terms and be okay with that.
2: What does a bad person look like? ugly and mean Does he smell Does he wear a tall black hat sheets and stuff like that Sometimes you just can't tell Not every time You can't always say Looks can be deceiving In many ways You gotta be careful And that's for sure. Cause a bad person just might be a friend of you.
0: That is Joe Beard from a record called It's Okay to Say No. My editor, my episode editor, Mr. Jeff Barr, uh, digs through people's trash to uh, find discarded recordings like that. It's a very inspiring tune. This is Juanitos behind me now. Folks, don't forget to go to adamandeve.com for all your condoms, your lube, your toys, your adult DVDs. If you do this, you're going to save a lot of money compared to going to the sex shop. You go to adamandeve.com, type in the offer code R-I-S-K, At the checkout, you get 50% off just about any item, three free adult DVDs, and free shipping. Oh, and an extra surprise. I've actually got a box. Uh, It's actually at my feet. I have absolutely no idea why I thought it would be a good idea to store it in the sound booth. It's my box of sex stuff. And it's piled (laughs) with stuff from Adam and Eve. Because let's face it, there are days when you're in the mood for the big toy, and there are other days when your body's like, Nope, nope, that one goes back in the box. Try again, Johnny. And then you're like, Did he just call me Johnny? Our final story comes to us from the blogger known as Trouble Jones. She can be found at TroubleNStrive.com or BestieGirlsClub.com. Here comes trouble with a story we call The Telltale Plug.
5: don't have any girlfriends, like other women just don't like them, or they just don't like other women. Generally, these women have a few traits in common. They're either fairly to extremely attractive, they dress pretty sexy, and they're they're pretty aloof around other women, pretty uninterested in other women, a little hard to get, if you will. Usually, if a woman meets a woman like this, she knows to just steer clear of her because she's been marked by man and nature as unfit for female companionship. Um, when I was young uh, uh I, I, was, I was quite foolish the way younger people generally are, and I, I didn't pay heed to such signs. Uh, I enjoyed the challenge. I, I found that, 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 that winning over a woman like this was, was just so gratifying. I felt like I was conquering some land that no woman had ever even seen before. I felt like I'd probably get some kind of medal for it or something. Um, let me tell you how many of these women I'm friends with today. Zero. That's right, girl. <laughs> Uh, I went to university in London at a place called the American Intercontinental University in London, which is famous for nothing. It was... um it was basically last chance university for boys and girls. Uh, my classmates were Saudi princes who wore sunglasses in class and would answer their cell phones in class and people who owned small African nations um, and, and American study abroad students who had never left the United States before and they would wear sweatshirts that said things like Michigan across the front. Um, and, then, and then there was me. And I, I just needed to graduate from somewhere, anywhere, because this was my fourth university in a declining list of institutions of higher education, and I, I just really needed to graduate. Um, my boyfriend at the time was half English, half French-Canadian. His name was Aaron, And one of my closest friends was a Russian girl named Alyona. Uh, Aliona was extremely close to her sister Regina and her cousin uh, Simona, but outside of these blood relations, she had no girlfriends. And and she told me that she had no girlfriends because her mother told her that other women couldn't be trusted. Um, I should probably tell you that Aliona looked like J-Lo in her heyday, except uglier. And she dressed like a total slut, which was probably the real reason she had no girlfriends. Um, except for me, of course. Um, Aaron and I were so unbelievably codependent and so absolutely unable to spend any time apart ever that we would actually defecate in front of each other, um, which is is an act I find so unfathomable that I, I can't I can't even believe I'm saying this right now. Uh, Like when I think about prison, the scariest part for me (laughs) is not is not the behind bars part. It's like the 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 public pooping part. Um. So that was our relationship. Uh. Karen and Aliona and I all met whilst we were studying media production at our esteemed university. And I made a, a, a huge misstep in, in, in my relationship with both of them one afternoon when I decided that we should have a threesome. Um, so we're sitting in Aliona's bedroom, and Aliona had these pet rabbits that she let just run around shitting willy-nilly all over the place. Uh, and she would, she would hoover up the pellets from time to time with a dustbuster. And I'm not even a very clean person. I, I mean, I used to have a roommate who called me Pigpen. P- pigpen, there's, there's swirls of dirt that encircle pigpen at all times, and even I, pigpen, found this living situation to be absolutely disgusting. Uh, so we're sitting in Aliona's shit-covered abode, which was... Really, a perfect metaphor for my life at that moment, um, and we're drinking Kahlua because that was the only thing she had in her apartment. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar, Kahlua is a coffee-flavored liqueur that suburban ladies like to put in their after-dinner coffee when they're feeling dangerous, and teenage girls like to mix it with Coca-Cola when they're getting their drink on. Kahlua is is not a beverage that I would suggest to ease you into a threesome that involves someone you're in a committed monogamous relationship with. For that, I would. I would have to suggest drinking morphine because that's really the only thing that's going to ease the pain of watching the man you love go down on another woman. Um, and even though I, you know, had initiated this little afternoon delight, uh, I, I almost instantly regretted it. And and and, and it, what I thought was going to be a really hot idea turned out to be a really horrible idea because, as as dysfunctional as Aaron and I were, I kind of worshipped him, and um, I just. I knew every inch of his body and he was still like uncharted territory to me. He was my favorite adventure. I wanted him to surpass his definition of pleasure, hence the threesome. Um, but it turns out that sharing this body that I so coveted with another woman was absolutely excruciating. And as our clothes came off, I felt myself losing ownership over him. And although I was anchored to the bed with a fat Russian nipple in my mouth and a hard cating cock in my hand I felt myself leave my body as if I was I um, um uh, I felt myself leave my body as, as, if I, as if I was drifting up to the ceiling and, and watching the scene below rabbit poop and all uh after the threesome was finally over uh Al- Aliona and I remained friends but it was just, it was never it was never quite the same between us and 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 Aaron and I were on a slippery slope tumbling towards the end of our relationship i think i hated him a little bit after that um but really i hated myself for orchestrating this event that would just catapult us towards our demise um Aliona was good friends with a guy named Amir a really sweet soft spoken guy who was always smiling he'd been in the same program as us at college and one night Aliona and Amir went out boozing together and the next day she told me that she'd had way too much to drink and he had taken advantage of her and he had had sex with her kind of sort of uh without her consent and she knew this because she kind of sort of remembered him pulling her tampon out and she kind of sort of remembered him having a tiny penis and then when she woke up the next morning there was the tampon on her nightstand when she told me this i was like oh no he didn't (laughs) nobody has sex with one of my girlfriends against their will do you still have the tampon i asked her um yeah Aliona said. I was like, good, because I'm coming over for it. So I go over to her apartment, like I'm fucking murder, she wrote, or something, going to collect evidence with my forceps, except I didn't have any forceps, so I just used my fingers, and... (laughs) It is disgusting, isn't it? (laughs) Um, And I collect the tampon from... Aliona, and, you know, quite honestly, she doesn't seem that upset for someone who's just been taken against her will, and, you know, her, her sister Ramona and her cousin Simone are also there, and they're also not really that worked up about it. And I, I didn't know if this sort of thing was just par for the course in Russia or what, but, you know, nobody offered to help me, or better yet, stop me. They let me just go off with that tampon in my hot little hand. So, I asked Amir if he'd like to meet up for a quick drink, because we were in England, the answer was always yes. So, we meet up, we're chatting chatting, we're having a nice time, and all of a sudden I say, oh, you know, I think you might have uh, forgotten something at Aliona's place last night. And I reach my hand into my pocket, and I pull out the tampon. Now remember, we're in a public place. And he's like, what is that? And I was like, oh, you don't remember removing this from my friend's vag before entering her? And he was like, he grabbed the tampon, he put it in his pocket, and he was like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And uh, our meeting was clearly over at that point. So he, he left with the tampon still in his pocket and that, that was that. And you know, I, I truly felt that justice had been served in some way through my confronting him, although I don't know in what way that would possibly be. And I reported back to Aliona and she was completely apathetic about the whole thing. She was sort of more excited about me confronting Amir than about the fact that she was basically accusing a man of having non-consensual sex with her. Not not long after this I, I left London for the bright lights of New York City. Um and the night before I left Aliona made a papier-mache bust of of my torso and my boyfriend Aaron's torso his arm around me holding me tight. Um this involved Aaron and I standing half naked in my bathroom uh covered in Vaseline whilst Aliona laid wet wet strips of plaster across our 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 bare skin until it dried into a sort of shell that could be coaxed off our, our naked bodies. Um, it, it was more than a little erotic, and uh, I, I just, I, I really hope that neither of them thought that we were going to have another three-way. Aliona told me that she loved me and that she loved Aaron and I together, and she just wanted to make something for us that we could always keep and remember and cherish, so I went off to New York, and Aaron and I broke up, but even though we broke up, we kind of never broke up, and we would email, and we would talk on the phone, and he surprised me for Valentine's Day, and he kept wanting to get back together, and I kept not wanting to get back together. And one time he came to town, and things got kind of ugly, and he had mentioned Aliona's name one too many times, and something just clicked in my head. And it was a Sunday afternoon, and we were we were walking from Central Park on the Upper East Side, and it's all mommy, baby, mommy, baby on the sidewalk. And I turned to him, and I said, have you been fucking Aliona? And he goes, yeah, we started seeing each other after you left. And I'm like, oh, so all these months that you've been telling me that that we're supposed to be together and get married and start a family, you've been depositing your sperm inside my friend. Um, Now, I'm a person who thinks that, like, if you're my girlfriend and I have a boyfriend and he and I break up, like, you know, the amount of time I would need to be okay with you sleeping with him, like, after we break up is eternity. Okay? Like, even when I'm dead, it might be too soon. And if you are one of my ex-boyfriends, I'm quite happy for you to never have another sexual partner for the rest of your time on the planet to just spend your life wandering through life alone, wondering where it all went so terribly wrong for you. So I asked Aaron what had happened to the papier-mâché bust that, that Aliona had made. And he says, oh, you know, she came home one day and she found it smashed into a million bits. She thinks that somebody broke into her apartment. Oh, uh, well, did they steal anything? No. Oh, okay, so they just they just broke in and they destroyed a papier-mâché bust of my breasts and your arm, and then they left. Yeah. <laughs> and it became apparent to me that Aliona was pretty adept at making up stories about people coming into her apartment and committing criminal acts. So, Amir, wherever you are, I would like to tell you that I'm sorry about the Tampa.
2: Fall is here. Hear the yell. Back to school. Ring the bell. Brand new
3: shoes. Walking blues. Climb the fence. Books and pens. I can
2: tell that we are gonna be friends. I can tell that we are gonna be friends Walk with me, Susie Lee Through the park, by the tree We will rest upon the ground Look at all the bugs
1: we found Safely walk to school without a sound Safely walk to school without a sound
0: that is it for this week, folks. Be sure and check back next week. We'll have an episode of Extra Risk. This is Bright Eyes behind me now. Remember, if you're anywhere near San Francisco on January 27th or 28th, we are at the San Francisco Sketch Fest we have wild shows, we all-star shows. And last year, we had so much fun there. So it's really a must-see occasion. Go to sfsketchfest.com to get your tickets. And on Facebook and Twitter, we're At Risk Show. Check out our iTunes page. See what people are saying about us and throw in your own comment there. We really, really appreciate that. Encourage your friends to come check us out at Risk show.com you can find our blog our archives of shows you can learn how to submit story ideas you pitch us your own stories our shop is there where you can get our all-star episodes and if you scroll down the front page there's a little guy filling a gas tank there where it says keep risk running that's where you can donate to us and help us keep this whole thing going If you are interested in storytelling training, I do it one-on-one over Skype online. We have nine-week and two-day workshops here in New York, and we do corporate workshops as well at thestorystudio.org. The corporate workshops are specifically customized to benefit your particular team, and of course, the stories you're telling are very different in nature than the stories we tell here on this very R-rated sort of podcast. But there's lots to learn at thestorystudio.org. And I guess the only thing left to say is, folks, today is the day. Take a risk. I can tell that
2: we are gonna be friends. Yes, I can tell that we are gonna be friends.
0: Have you ever thought back on those experiences with her in a fantasy-like way? Um,
4: very rarely. Like, on occasion I have when the internet's down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>